From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 97. Today's show is brought to you by the lovely folk over at Hover and Ring. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by the incomparable Jason Snell. <laughs> Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? It's good to be back. Uh, it's, you know, we're starting the week right, as we always do with a podcast. So we had a, a, a ton of follow-up um, and suggestions for device name schemes. We did. So many that I can't read them all. Um, no. But we have picked a few. So I have a new device naming scheme. I have chosen one, um, and I'll get to that. But I wanted to just read out some of the suggestions that we got because it might help uh, inspire some Upgradians to name mm-hmm. their own devices in a cluster. So this is after last week. It just came up about naming devices and and people having kind of schemes like Jason has uh, all monkey names for his devices. Mm-hmm. So first up, Ryan suggested fictional evil artificial intelligence like Ultron, HAL 9000, Skynet. I don't know what WOPR is. Whopper. It's from War Games, which is a movie from the 80s that I guess you haven't seen. I have seen it, but didn't remember the name. That's the big... Well, the Whopper is that big computer with the blinking lights. Yeah, the thing that actually predicts the wars, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, we think of it. I probably think of it as Joshua. That's the you know because it's yeah. named after Doctor Falcon's son. But that's what it is actually called, the Whopper. I which there's a parody that. of War Games that shows that it's a giant hamburger, which I always thought was funny. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that you're saying it, I'm remembering it. So there's a mic at the movies out there of War Games. I think that was an analog one, but I will. Uh, I'll put. I'll put a link to the incomparable episode. It's episode eight. Of the Mike in the Movies feed over at the oh, Incomparable. Yeah. There it is. Oh, we did it together. So why? how did you not know Hang that? Anyway, all right. It was me and you? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm getting lost in all the movies. We have okay. some important Mike at the Movies uh, related news at the end of the show today. Yes. That's a tease, Jason. I, I, you, did, you did a great job. Thanks. People are going to be worried the entire show that we're canceling Mike in the Movies. No. We're going to be we're, we're going to be saying what our next one is. We're doing one. Oh, okay. Good. Whew. Okay, everybody rest easy. Don't be don't be tense while listening to this podcast now. You know it's going to be okay. It's all good. Uh, Mikey suggested European cities um, on knives and swords. I had <laughs> a lot of people suggest swords to me, and this, this posed two questions. One, I didn't know this was a thing. And two, why did people suggest... Like, have I ever spoken about my sword collecting? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, here's my theory is you are, as we've said on this show before, you are, uh, for some people, the only English person they know. And in the United States, so many uh, things about England are swords and sorcery and King Arthur and things like that. And also, um, American movies tend to use English accents as code for old-timey medieval stuff. So everybody, even if they're not in England, they speak with an English accent, and that's the code for for old time stuff. So I think that a lot of Americans think that English people actually are walking around with swords or if not, Mm. they have a sword on their wall that belonged to an ancestor from the old times. Well, a lot of people were suggesting like samurai swords. I don't, I got, I've got no theory for that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've ever given the impression that I, uh, that I collect samurai swords, but there we go. Do you? Do you, do you own a sword, Mike? I, I don't own any swords. Um, okay. I don't. Uh, Ed was in the right market when looking at things that I collect when he suggested obscure pen terms and brands that sound cool. That was a good one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew select, uh, suggested the great beards of history. So you could have like a Rasputin. Clearly, two of my passions. Yeah. So I appreciated those. Um, the next one was Jamie, who suggested Pokemon, oh. and because there are one hundred and fifty of the original, and then hundreds mm. and hundreds more, right? So I could have every device ever, and I wouldn't run out. The reason I wanted to mention this is because of Pokemon Go. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Pokemon Go is an absolute phenomenon. Yes, and not available where you are because it's yeah. only the US, Australia, and New Zealand, I believe. Yes. So, Pokemon Go, if you don't know, it is a new iPhone game. It is an alternate reality game in that you walk around in the real world with your phone out and it's using the camera and you're looking through the camera and then Pokemon appear and you're told to go to specific places for Pokemon um, Mm -hmm. or for specific, you know, or you go to different areas for gyms and stuff like that that have been marked on actual real world maps. Yes. Um, And it is, I can't recall ever seeing something like this with an iPhone app or a game before. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a little roundup of stuff over on Mac Stories, which has got some pictures of some people that have uh, like taken pictures and tweeted them or videos. There are people all over America right now playing this game and clustering together, and it seems like a real phenomenon, like a kind of, I don't know, like some kind of social thing, which is very different, right? Like it's turning into a big thing. Have you tried Pokemon Go yet? Uh, I tried it briefly, but my family went out last night while I was talking on the phone. Um, they all went for a walk, and what my wife said was, "It's we finally have found a, a, a reason for my son, who loves video games, to actually like go for a walk enthusiastically, which is to look for Pokemon." Uh, so they were playing it, and and my daughter got like twenty Pokemon, and Ooh. they discovered there's a historical marker near my house mm-hmm. um, that is a pokey spot i guess mm-hmm. or maybe that's a gym and then there's also a uh there's a, a memorial bench over by the school um that's in my neighborhood and that is the other one so they they found the locations of the of a, a nearby pokey spot and a, a and a nearby gym and also caught a lot of pokemon and they were you know they were walking out they did a nice i mean it was they were like out for like half an hour no it was more like an hour doing it so i've only done it briefly but um there's a lot of enthusiasm in my house for it I'm so excited. Like, the reason I think that this is hitting a lot of people is because this is what Pokemon is, right? Like, being out in the world collecting them. Like, this is what the game is, right? The kids that go out into the world and they collect Pokemon. Like, this is the closest to actually being able for us to do this in our world. And I think that's why it's hit with so many people, right? Like if you've ever played Pokemon, this is what you dreamed of being able to actually go out into the world and catch Pokemon. And I'm, I'm seeing reports that it is going to be launching in Europe within the next few days. And I'm very excited for it. Um, I know that if I downloaded it from a US app store account, which I have used in the past, I could get the game, but it seems like for people that have done that, they've actually not enabled Pokespots in those areas yet, so uh, it's yeah, kind see. of pointless. Mm-hmm. So I'm just waiting. But there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which was the effect that this has had on Nintendo. Now, Nintendo's stock price has, like their market cap, has raised by $7 billion over the last couple, over the last day or two because yeah. of Pokemon Go. Now, the reason that this is very interesting is they have nothing to do with this game. 
Well, that's not entirely true, right? They, uh, well, no, they have something to do with Pokemon, but this game is not a Nintendo game. So Nintendo owned 33% of the Pokemon company, right? I believe Nintendo also is one of the three investors in the mobile development company that built the game. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, right, if they are. But what I mean is, is, like, this isn't a Nintendo game. This is a game from the Pokemon company. Yeah, and 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 produced by uh, what Niantic? Yeah, uh, who is a alphabet company? Did you know? That? Well, it was, was was an alphabet ah, company, okay, but okay. but is now um, is now owned by what Nintendo, the Pokemon company, and Google. Ah, okay. Okay, well, that makes sense. But anyway, like the, it's just very interesting, right, that people are just looking at this and saying Pokemon, oh, that means Nintendo, and yeah. their stock has gone through the roof. It's just a really interesting cause and effect, um, which, I mean, as I guess in some instances quite rightly pointed out why so many people believe they were right that Nintendo should be making mobile games. Um, I think this is yeah. definitely what the market wants, it's still, I think, time Time will still tell, I believe, if this is the right thing for Nintendo as a company. I think so, but you can see the enthusiasm here that perhaps this... I think what people, what the investors are hoping is that um, this is uh, a sign exactly. that the kind yep. of stuff that, that Nintendo is is good at could translate in in this way where where in fact nintendo doesn't have to build um the their own hardware even to have their kind of you know the intellectual property that they have and uh their attitude toward games and building software um that that could be applied and that and be successful even though this is a a thing that nintendo is only i don't even want to say tangentially nintendo is involved in this but this is not like a core just nintendo kind of thing you see i haven't um i haven't played it so i can't attest to this but i would be very surprised if there was even a nintendo logo when you boot no the there's game. not it's the pokemon company right it's it's all it's it's pokemon brand because this isn't the first game that the pokemon company have had on ios um i think they had a game uh pokemon shuffle i think which was a, a 3DS game, which they turned into an iPhone and Android game. Oh. So you know this this isn't their first foray, but it's it's the combination of everything that this game does uh, that is making it so popular. So it's very interesting to see, and it's very I'm sure that there are some very interesting conversations occurring inside of uh, Nintendo headquarters right now as they're trying to. Uh, work out where they're going to go next with this but i'm really excited and i'm very happy for nintendo um, and the pokemon company that this is happening i hope that it's going to push them to actually develop a real pokemon game for uh mobile platforms because that's something that i would love but yeah anyway that is a, a brief aside but uh pokemon go and everything it's doing fascinating absolutely fascinating and i'm really interested to see what this is like next week right will it last Nobody knows. We'll wait and see. Scott suggested fictional cat names, um, and I guess this is to go in kind of hand in hand with the uh, Mac OS cat names. I guess, or is that that might be how what Scott uses? I think that's. I think some people are not re- recommending for you. They're recommending. They're saying what they use. 
I yeah, think. yeah, I yeah. Think that's what Scott's doing here. Yeah, yeah. He's saying what he uses. Yeah, and and it's like you know, it's in the idea to spark ideas for me. So he suggested like uh, the Cheshire Cat, and then years ago they had a boot camp installation which was called Schrodinger's Cat, which that just really made me laugh. I thought that was very funny. yeah. Um, Asia or Asia suggested Star Wars related names and gave me some ideas like the iMac could be the Death Star, the iPad Pro could be the Millennium Falcon, and so on. I like those. Uh, Neil suggested comic characters with specific uh, kind of verticals, uh, like for example, Wi-Fi being Asgard, MacBook Pro being Odin, iPhone yeah. is Thor, Watch is Mjolnir, and the iPad is Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> sure. So Neil is a big Thor fan, obviously, yep. and those are, those are I think what he uses. So yeah. Kenyon suggested '80s movies titles. <laughs> sure. Back to the Whopper again. Rob suggested mailbag related things like pouch, <laughs> sack, satchel. Uh, which I really enjoyed. Satchel! Sorry. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. Many people suggested wrestlers, um, mm. including Jimmy, and that is what I have decided to go with. Oh, look at that. So I've gone with wrestler names. You've got a little screenshot of all your na- devices that are named things that I don't have any idea what they are, but it, they're important to you, and that's the most important thing. That's why I'm not even going to bother saying the names on the air, because it, it won't mean anything to anybody who doesn't follow wrestling because i've chosen current wrestlers not classic name uh, classic wrestlers uh, so i'm just going to put the screenshot in the show notes so people can go and see that if they want to um but this is all bringing me around to mention uh that my wrestling show on the incomparable is going to be debuting this week on july yes. 15th so it's called the ring post there's already an episode zero up, so people yep. can actually go and listen to your introduction and subscribe to the podcast now. Exactly. And so the you first can go episode now. goes up, yeah. This is part of, uh, there's, currently we're in two very big weeks, um, if you're a wrestling fan. Huge so weeks. that's why uh, I did it now. Wrestling weeks, I see. You gotta, you gotta do that. When the, that's like when I launched Six Colors. I wanted to take time off, but I couldn't because it was the week the iPhone came out. So that's the perfect time. So you're, you're you know, you're, you're timing it perfectly, Mike. Striking while the iron is hot. Is WrestleMania happening? No, that's in uh, kind of March, April time. How about the Royal Rumble? Is the Royal Rumble happening? That's in January. Okay, I'm really impressed right I, now. I'm, I'm, I, that's it. I'm done. Uh, that's all, the, all the wrestling I know is done now. Good. Well, you did you did a good job. So if you want to go and check it out, <laughs> if you're interested in wrestling, uh, or if, you know, like many people started listening to The Pen Addict because they just wanted to listen to something that someone was really excited about, um then you might enjoy the ring post for the same reason because it's something I'm very excited about. It's something that I enjoy. So you can go there, go to theincomparable.com slash ring post or just go to ringpost.fm and it will redirect you. Yeah, and people have asked, we, we've talked about this before, but people asked, why is that not a relay show? And you and I both thought that it was a, a, a better fit for the incomparable and that it's about a, an entertainment product that you're really enthusiastic yep. about. And that, that might it's be an episodic TV show. Yeah, exactly. It's the same It's the same reason that, that uh, Upgrade and Clockwise aren't on the incomparable, because I felt that that wasn't the, that what that network was about. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's where we are. With, yeah, like if you it. boil so it down, forward. it is a fictional television show. So yeah. that's why it's on The Incomparable, <laughs> because that's what The Incomparable is all about. Exactly. We have some very important uh, <laughs> pineapple pepperoni pizza follow-up. Pizza follow-up. This Okay, so uh, two pieces of pi- pepperoni and pineapple news, and these keep trickling in. People spot pepperoni and pineapple in the wall. Not everybody, you'll be surprised to know, not everybody went out the week we talked about pepperoni and pineapple pizza. Uh or the week that uh, Tiff and Marco talked about it on Top 4, right? No, nobody, 
just runs out. Not everybody runs out and immediately buys pizza, right? Sometimes you just are living your life. And then you're sitting somewhere at a pizza restaurant, let's say, and you think, hey, I should try that pizza. So we've had trickling over weeks and weeks, people reporting back about pepperoni and pineapple. And generally, positively, I have to say, um, somebody sent in an ad for a, for a Domino's pizza, at, uh, you know, somewhere that was like, get this, get any large or something. But the photo that they showed in the ad was pepperoni and pineapple. Like, you know, how did, what's going on? What's happening? I think maybe, you know, I'm just saying the pepperoni and pineapple train is rolling down the track. And then listener Frank wrote in to you and me. And said, I sat down at a bar, someone left three slices of pepperoni and pineapple pizza, Jason was right. Now, I think the implication here from Frank is that he tried this leftover bar pizza. Yeah, I have many questions about enjoyed this. Enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, which I first would say, Frank, you're a braver man than I to just discover left pizza and even though it's at a bar, it's not like it was in a garbage can or something. It's at a bar. It's a, and and try it, which is sort of the implication here. Um, although although maybe he's just saying that he saw it and noticed it. But but the other question is, why did they leave? The, if it was so delicious, why did they leave it behind? I'm troubled by the fact that pepperoni and pineapple pizza was abandoned at the bar. So I'm not sure whether this is good news or bad news. Frankly, um, I've found the Domino's ad. And I've put that in the show notes too. Oh, <laughs> great, great. So Fantastic. I wonder if like I'm doing this because I have recently ordered a few uh, pepperoni pineapple pizzas from Domino's. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? There was recently, I think this is just before WWDC, somebody wrote in uh, from Wisconsin and they went to their local pizza shop and they asked for pepperoni pineapple and the pizza person, the, I don't uh, pizzorio or something. Uh, sure. Uh, it's a pizza barista, really, frankly. Yeah, okay. We'll need to, yeah, let's, yeah, let's ask Federico what the official Italian name is for a pizza professional. Anyway. It is something along the lines of pizzorio. I just can't say it correctly. All right. But uh, they kind of gave them a look and was like, Relay FM, which was amazing. <laughs> it's happening i'm just saying it's happening one day people will look back and say you know hawaiian pizza used to be made with ham but now we just make it with pepperoni because everybody preferred that thanks relay fm yep so good but i'm just troubled why those three pieces were left behind never le- never leave pepperoni pineapple pizza behind take yeah. it with you get them to put it in a box take it with you we just reheat that stuff so that was from matthew that tweet um about the thank in, you in rochester wisconsin that's amazing. Truly, Mike, the uh, the the grip of um, relay on the minds of humans on Earth is 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 broad. Clearly, I think that this is our crowning achievement. <laughs> oh dear, that's too bad. Like, really, you know, this is our legacy. Well, this this the thing is, you know, if somebody tells you, yes, there will be one thing you do in your life that has an impact beyond all others, but you will never know what it will be. And you can try and try and try to make big impacts if you like. But that doesn't mean that any of those will come to anything. In fact, it might simply be that people like a kind of pizza a little bit more. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, what, a, what an epitaph that will be. 
Somebody happens. go to my grave when I die and just put some pepperonis and pineapples on, sprinkle it on the... Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Jason, allow me to take a moment to talk to you about domain names. Thank goodness. Uh, Hover is uh, one of our sponsors for this week's show. Uh, when I was setting up uh, the Ringpost website, and I mentioned the, the URL of ringpost.fm recently, um, Hover was where I went to buy that naturally like it was actually quite funny i was thinking up names for what the show could be um and as i always do with this stuff i just go to hover and i just keep typing in words until i see the domain available and then that's the one that i'll buy because domain names are so important and it's so easy to find and buy them with hover um they have over 400 domain extensions to end your domain with all the classics like .com and .net are there .co they also have .design and .tech or jason we could buy something .pizza um and i believe that there is a a uh, all things .pizza is something that i own which which i think goes to connected who knows? There's many pizza-related domains that you could buy, uh, many pepperoni ones, many pineapple ones, and you could buy them all at Hover. And then once you've found that domain that you're looking for, you can just use Hover Connect to set up your domain automatically with your website in just a few clicks. You don't have to dig through help articles or be on the phone with someone for six hours just to get your domain work again anymore because Hover will fix that and sorted it for you. Find the perfect domain name for your idea or even for just that joke that you're trying to tell. Go to Hover.com right now and use the promo code BETA, B-E-T-A, at checkout. You'll save 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, a couple of weeks ago, um, Federico wrote this article on Mac Stories about his thinking about the iPad, or you know, the fact that we didn't have many uh, iOS 10 features for the iPad, um, and was kind of pontificating on the idea of following on from everything we were talking about last year about like with the release of iOS 9.3 that we're going to see more staggered releases of iOS and that more iOS features for the iPad would come in one of those staggered releases, right? So we would see maybe 9.3 or 10.3, I should say, in March with some iPad updates that we didn't see in September. Um, and I wanted to see what you thought of this, Jason. We spent a lot of time maybe in February, March last year talking about the idea of Apple moving to a more staggered point release with bigger features. Is this something you think is going to happen? Uh, well, I know it's hard for me to separate this from what I know about... Uh, like Federico said that that this is what he thought would happen, and so that that really kind of led mo- led me down that path. Uh, also, you know, we got the word a little before. I think uh, um, it might have been Federico, it might have been somebody else said, "Yeah, there are no iPad features in, <laughs> to speak of in iOS 10." That that and and we've gotten, I think, some hints since then that this is what's happening. I'm not. It's hard for me to say because I this doesn't feel like speculation so much as it's as it's. Uh, informed. It's like this mixture of what what people want and what people hear through the grapevine might be happening. But because it's Apple, we don't really know for sure. It's not like they made a declaration. But it makes a lot of sense. Um, the idea that, uh, you know, we can't imagine Apple as this company with superpowers. Apple has limitations. Um, and there's only so much they can do. There's a really there's literally only so much they can do in terms of operating system development at a time. They already do a lot. So the iPhone is their most important product. iOS updates uh, coincide with the release of the iPhone. All makes sense, right? So why would you not prioritize iPhone features? 
And uh, if you want to do things for the iPad, but you just you can't prioritize them for the major release, it really makes sense to hold them back and say, what, we'll just do those later. We'll do those in a point one or point two release, um, especially since the iPads seem to come out, you know, after the iPhone generally anyway, right? They come out a month mm-hmm. or two later. So why would you not? And, and if they don't come out then, then that's fine, too. You could even you could even shift them a little further back. They're not as high priority as the iPhone. Um and so by taking them out of the big drop that happens in the fall in September, you actually, I think it might be good for the iPad in that way, in that, you know, they're not fighting with uh, the iPhone for prioritization of the main release. Instead, they are on their own track, essentially, for uh, features to be picked up and rolled out a few months later. I think it's great, actually, in that way. I, now, let's see it happen, right? Because <laughs> the alternative is that, oh, yeah, there's no iPad features. That means there are never going to be any. That would be sad. Yeah. But if most of them trail by a couple of months, I'm okay with that. I, I would be, you know, I, I want them to be doing work on the iPad. I think giving iPad separate prioritization is a good thing for the iPad. What if we end up with um, new iPhones and new iOS in September? And then new iPads and updates to iOS in March. Like, and this just rolls out now. Like, imagine that that world. That feels pretty yeah. good, right? Uh, a six-month alternating kind of schedule would be would be great. I think that would be fantastic. And, and I mean, I've advocated here before for the idea of Apple being a little less focused and, ch- and chained to a, a, this annual update schedule. And and uh, so this is a this is a perfect example, right? iOS is a platform that supports two major product lines, iPhone and iPad. And um, why not separate them in that way? Not separating the operating system, just separating the emphasis. And there could still be iPhone features in a half step release six months later. Um, but what if that's the what if that's the story is that is that you know the the next step after bug fixes and things like that is really uh, more iPad oriented because the the iPad you know that stuff gets out of the way of the iPhone launch in September so I think it's I think it would be good I think more more ways Apple can kind of spread out its its a uh, priority list instead of trying to have it all land at once in September the more the better. I think. Yeah, I think it would be really great for iPad owners because you end up with some new features in September and then more focus features in March, say. Or let's say we're just going to pin it to those dates. Because you get some of the iPad enhancements, right? If you look at stuff like Messages, so like the iPhone enhancements, they're coming to the iPad. So you get those in September. And then when March rolls around, you see things like updates to multitasking and updates right. with drag and drop and stuff like that. So you end up, if you're a keen iPad user, like with, I definitely am, and I know that you are um, becoming more and more, I believe, as time goes on. Oh, sure. Um, this That could be a really nice scenario. However, I, I am worried that it's a little wishful thinking. Well, that that's that's the little chill in the in the back of my neck when we talk about this is it's really easy to say oh yeah 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 we're we're working on features for you guys too just just wait and then are they going to happen are, are are those going to happen or or is that not the case right and that that's the, i do worry that there's a little bit of bargaining happening here which is um we're saying oh well we really need changes to the multitasking screen on the iPad mm-hmm. but 
it's not in iOS 10. So rather than be sad and hope that it's there in a year and think about a year longer of having that bad multitasking screen, um, we instead start wish casting a little bit about, well, maybe in November or January or March, we'll get that thing that we all dreamed of. And like I said, it's hard to pick this stuff apart. I I seem to have gotten through the grapevine indications that that is the plan, but it's all through the grapevine. And again, at any point, it could be amplified by our own wish casting. So I I think the truth is until it exists, it doesn't exist. (laughs) And so uh, that's the, and right now it has not been announced and people can install iOS 10 on the uh, on the iPad and see what's there today. And there are some features in there that are good for iPad users. Um, I'm really happy about that external keyboard change that, I, you know, you can finally turn off autocorrect on the hardware keyboards and leave it on for the software keyboards. There's, there's good stuff in there, but there's a lot of stuff that is kind of uh, high on the wish list that's not in there. And yeah, I, I, I hope they're working on it. I really hope they go to this kind of schedule because it it also means there's more attention being paid to the iPad because the iPad is not going to win feature arguments against the iPhone every fall, you know, or every spring when they're deciding what they're going to put out at WWDC and then and then ship in the fall. It's not going to win. I mean, it's it's a fraction of the audience of the iPhone. And while I think it's important and I think Apple is behind the iPad, uh, it's also, you could argue, irresponsible to over-prioritize the iPad when the iPhone is so important to your core business. So this is great. It unhooks the iPad development cycle from the iPhone development cycle. I mean, they're still the same OS. They're still going to pick up the features. But if you, if, you, if you get me, this idea, like, you don't have to compete. We're going we're gonna to save a bunch of iPad features in a little box. <laughs> and once we ship iOS 10, we're going to work on those. It would make me very happy. Yeah, but, right. Which is which is I think why we both are are sort of saying let's. There's a little bit of caution that needs to happen mm-hmm. here because it's it's something we want, and that doesn't necessarily mean again because we used our power for pizza instead of computer things, <laughs> um, we may not get it even though we want it. So uh, since last week's episode, the public betas have been released. Um, I currently just to give an update on my beta status. Um, oh, oh yes. I like that. I like it's that. It's time. Be- beta status. It's time for the beta status. Um, I have not, My beta status has not changed. Uh, I'm still running iOS 10 on an Air 2 just so I can see little bits and bobs, but that's all I'm doing right now. Um, I'm not running anything on my iPhone because the Canary app is currently crashing on launch, and that is an app that is far too important to me. Ah, um, I, I don't want that app crashing. It's my home security system. Yeah. Um, it needs to work. So I'm going to give a mic top tip to people that are interested in installing betas. If there are applications that are super important to you, apps that you use every day because you love them, or apps that are important for another reason, like your home security system, what I always do is I will go to the Twitter account of that company and look at their app replies. Because if the apps are crashing on betas, you'll see it in the app replies because people complain, right? So then you'll know. That's how I knew that the Canary app was crashing on the public beta because people were tweeting at them and telling them. So I have not and will not be uh, installing it on my phone until that is fixed, which might not be until iOS 10 is released. 
Well, this is why we always warn people, and I did it again last week. It's the and I got uh, some people complained about it. They're like, "Oh, why do you? You know, it's it's fine. It's fine for me." And it's like, "Yeah, okay." I had a guy who was a QA professional QA tester, a software tester, say it's fine. Like, yes, thank you, professional software tester. However, the general public should pr- should probably not install an iOS beta because of that exactly that because it may work fine for you but then if you've got an app I, this happened to me I think last year or the year before there was an app that I used all the time and counted on and it just didn't work and and so I installed iOS 10 on my iPhone um the, last week and and watch OS 3 on my Apple Watch um because actually my and I think I said this um my iPad is my most important iOS device. I decided I use it way more than my iPhone. I agree. Um, that that said, I'm already feeling it. I was listening I, when I was in the shower this morning. I was listening to the Flophouse on an Overcast, and uh, this is not the first time this has happened on iOS 10. It's happened for this last week, which is I get in the shower, and about one minute later, it pauses. The audio just stops. Because this is a bug in iOS 10 right now, is that audio to external devices um, sometimes just pauses just for no reason. It just does. It's a bug. It's fine. It's a bug. But it means, <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, it essentially has stopped me listening to podcasts on Bluetooth devices now because um, it pause, they pause all the time in my car when I'm using Bluetooth headphones. And that's just... Uh, so this is why regular people shouldn't install betas. I'm willing to take that hit, uh, especially because I have to write about this stuff. But it, it's 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 dangerous. And if there's one thing that you rely on, like you rely on that Canary app, that's enough of a reason not to. And and there's a reason why I've got... Um, I've got my uh, iPad Pro not on uh, on the 10 beta, is that I want one device I can rely on. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm probably going to install uh, the beta, the, one of the developer betas, on one of my iPad Pros, probably the nine point seven, in a couple more revisions, maybe three or four, um, just so I have a device sure. that I'm using every day that has it. Um, and whilst that is a critical device, you know, I know it's, I know it's crazy, but I have a backup, right? I have a no, whole f- another physical iPad that I can use, um, but also the applications in there. Whilst I use them every day. Uh, there's nothing like Canary, right? So, like, if Tweetbot crashes, I can just use the Twitter app, right? Like, if Quip crashes, then I'll just save my notes into another application and copy and paste them on another device, right? But something like Canary on my iPhone can't be replaced. Exactly. And, well, I, and I'm at the point now where I'm just thinking, if if it's an issue for can, the Canary app on my iPhone, then I'll just make sure that Lauren's iPhone's got the Canary app. That is the other thing that I've got is I've got a backup of another iPhone that's around enough yeah. of the time that when, especially for something like that, when I'm out of the house and she's out of the house, we're usually together and mm-hmm, traveling, mm-hmm. so it's fine. But yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's complicated, <clears throat> and everybody's gonna have to make up the, make up their minds about it. Um, the problem. With iOS, I, and I, I wrote about this on Six Colors last week, is you can't reboot to the other partition and go back to iOS 9, right? On the Mac, you can do that. On the Mac, you can beta test Sierra by installing it on another device or partition or external drive and then just reboot into it and then reboot back out of it. But iOS, you can't. You can revert. It's painful and messy, Um and so we rely on our phones, especially, and we uh, and you can't easily 
get uh, get back to the old version if it's a disaster. So that really raises the bar in terms of what's worth doing on, uh, you know, what's worth installing a beta on. Yeah. So you know, if you really, I'm not going to say to you don't do it, don't do it, right? Like because I have done it and I will do it and I've done it for years, but. I would just say make sure you do your due diligence before you do it. And, yeah. and if there is an app that is incredibly important to you, then just, just check it out before before you go ahead and do it, right? That is true with any software upgrade, not just betas. Oh, any software yeah, upgrade. Yeah. When 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 we when it comes time to like the, the Sierra update in the fall, that's part of the advice I always give to people is uh, go online. <laughs> if there's a mission critical app that you use, go online and find go online. Go go to your modem. Beep beep. Shh. Go online. No, just do a web search. Okay, do a Google search for your app and the operating system you're thinking of upgrading to, and see if there is a message board thread a thousand posts long that says, "Oh, it doesn't work." Ah, because that might be a sign not to update yet. <laughs> right? It's pretty simple, and yet people don't do it, and I feel so bad because they're like, "Oh no, now this program that I use every day suddenly doesn't work." And it turns out, yeah, there's a whole thing over there, this an article about how it's one of the apps that doesn't work and it's going to be 3 months before there's an update and you shouldn't update. So, uh, again, it's just that's one of the unfortunate things about how the software stuff works is that OS updates break software, and if you rely on that software, uh, don't update. <laughs> it's, and fortunately now you can search the web and find fairly readily on like day one, day two, what's broken and then just not update. So you said that you're now, uh, you, you have uh, Sierra on a on an SSD boot drive, right? You, you've, you've got a, a, a completely external drive which you're running the beta on. Right. So I had uh, a 13-inch MacBook Pro that was supplied by Apple when I did my hands-on with the first developer beta. Uh, And so I've got that, but that's Apple's and they're going to want it back soon. And I want for this... this, Plus, you know, it's this laptop that's sitting behind me. Like, I want the ability to sit here at my desk with my iMac and work on my, like, my photos book that I have to update for uh, iOS 10 and Sierra. Uh, any other stuff I want to do. I, but I'm not ready to install it on my main uh, partition. And for the, all those reasons, for, for last summer, I had to reboot into a generic Yosemite install whenever I wanted to do a podcast because it broke the the uh the el capitan betas broke all of my usb audio so um i didn't want to make that mistake this time so i bought an external ssd and installed sierra on that and i can boot onto that at any time yeah i um i'm gonna stay away from the mac os betas there's nothing in there that's super exciting to me um that that would draw me to it Right, like I will be holding off installing Sierra when it's released for a while, uh, because of the type of work that I do. I'm scared right. something's going to break. Well, I'm torn between these two issues, right? Which is I have to use, and ultimately I will have to use it on my real data because you you really can't, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. just reboot. I said this last week. You can't reboot and go do do do. I'm using a beta, and then reboot back and do your work because you you're not using the beta. You're noodling around in that beta for 20 minutes, and then you're going back and doing your and living with it. Right, and that's why I always want to end up putting iOS on something, right? Because on yeah. that Air 2, all I'm doing is getting the occasional message and just looking at that. Like, again, I'm just seeing what the messages stuff is. But I'm not, like, using the new widgets or anything like that. Like, I'm not doing that because it's not 
a device that I'm actually getting work done on every right. day. So what's probably going to happen for me, because because I am both a person who's writing about new tech and somebody who who relies on stable systems to do my job, um, and the podcasting is much more about this than writing. Writing, you can write anywhere. I mean, even there was uh, there were betas of of OS X last summer where BB Edit crashed all the time. And uh, Rich Siegel said it was Apple's fault. Um, I'm going to take him at his word, but, you know, BB Edit crashed all the time, and I write in BB Edit. And the answer was, I wrote in something else. But it's like, there are other apps I could use, and I wrote in something else while BB Edit crashed. And then it got fixed, and that was great. Um, podcasting is different, right? I, I There aren't uh, a million different ways to do podcasting. Like, I need my tools to record and edit and talk uh, over IP with the people I'm doing podcasts with. And that that is that requires a stable platform. <laughs> so last year it really bit me. Um, and this year I think what I'm probably going to do at some point is the old switcheroo, which is at some point I will feel like the Sierra beta is far enough along that I will install it on my main system, um, but I will turn that external SSD into the refuge that is... Um, that is using uh, El Capitan, right? And okay. and and, th- and then if I have any technical issues, I can always do what I did all at, all of last summer, which is reboot into the stable system to do that part of my job, and then reboot back into the unstable beta to do that part of my job. But uh, this time, sort of planned instead of the last time where I was. I wiped out my bootcamp partition because I I desperately had to install Yosemite because I was all oh, my podcasts were failing and it was not it was not a good scene. So so I want to talk for a second about the SSD. You know, it's a hundred bucks I bought on Amazon, a two fifty six gig Samsung USB three SSD. And it's incredibly small. If you're thinking of like portable hard drives, this is an SSD, so there's nothing to it at all. In fact, um I've got it. I've got it tucked into the mounting bracket on the back of my iMac where there's a there's a mounting bracket for the Visa mount because I've got the my iMac's on an arm and there's a little space there where there's nothing. Um and so the drive just sits in there. So it's like an internal drive in the sense that from the front of the computer I can't even see that it's there. It's just kind of clinging. It's like a barnacle. <laughs> it's just clinging to the side of the iMac. Um, and it's fast. It's USB three, so it's fast, and uh, and that's worked pretty well. And so for for me, a hundred dollars for a two fifty six outboard. I, I've heard since Marco Arment told me that he's got like two gigs on an external USB SSD that he uses for a lot of his extra stuff, and is very happy with it too. So I, I just I'd never bought an external, you know, SSD that was not a not a, like a little thumb drive, but like a a big um, drive drive kind of thing, and. Uh, it's cool. So I'm using that. That's my that's my boot drive now for, for Sierra. Yeah, I was looking at those Samsung um, SSDs on Amazon here, uh, just, just kind of seeing what they were like. And uh, I was interested in one of the, maybe what, getting one of the bigger ones. That's right. expensive. They, 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 get, they go, I mean, Marco was saying that, that you can get a, a, a small hard drive enclosure, just a generic hard drive enclosure, and then buy one of Samsung's internal um internal right. SSDs that are made for laptop drive size and uh, save a lot of money that way. And I decided I didn't want to do that for this. I just wanted something super small and easy and I could drop it in. But we'll see how it goes with this because, you know, I, 
on my iMac, uh, I feel the storage crunch. I, I absolutely do. And I've got the, uh, what, I think I've got the 500 gig drive. And I feel the storage crunch. Uh, I'm always moving things off to my Drobo mm-hmm. um, because I've got big podcast files and things like that, especially when I'm doing video. So, so yeah, I I would consider, if this goes well, I would consider using it once the beta is done, either as just outboard storage or doing something like what Marco has described and to save a little bit of money, you know, finding a cheap-ish SSD and enclosure and then like velcroing it to the back of my iMac or something and just to just to get another t- like a terabyte of flash or something that would be great yeah like the um i could get like one of the 250 gigabyte ones that they have that you have for like 100 pounds here but i was kind of interested in like some bigger storage but that's that gets expensive real quick the the terabyte so yeah the, so the drive that i bought which was the samsung t3 uh, is is two fifty six? It was a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. but the the it, very, it gets expensive rapidly. So the five hundred is is two hundred dollars, and the terabyte is three hundred and sixty dollars, and the two terabyte is uh seven hundred fifty dollars. So it gets it gets yeah, it gets more expensive. I I, I thought two fifty that's good enough for my booting into the beta. I mean that's half the size of my internal storage now, so I've increased my internal storage by a lot if if this is basically it's not quite as fast as internal storage but usb usb3 is pretty fast so yeah Yeah, i i got the uh the one terabyte in my imac Mm -hmm. and i even sometimes feel the crunch right like because of the types of files that we do and just some videos that i make like the the cortex youtube videos they take up a bunch of space uh and it it adds up quite quickly and there's just some stuff that i would like to offload but i would want a relatively chunky drive to offload it to which brings me back to that whole like network attached stuff which i am going to do at some point and you know i'm very happy that i've got the drobo and that it is although it it does make some noise it's uh kind of on the other side of the room from me and so it's not it's not really a problem and if i had a better place to put it that was completely out of the way of where i am i would but i don't yeah um but i i like it uh, at the same time, even over gigabit Ethernet, I mean, it is a network drive, and having something uh, that is just local, attached, fast storage for for you know working on is is something that I I I, I would do with something like this SSD, and would not really do on the on the the Drobo that's attached by Ethernet. Mm-hmm. All right, should we take a break? Yeah, I think so. This week's episode is also brought to you by the Ring video doorbell. This is so cool. I think this is so awesome. With Ring, you'll be able to see and talk to anyone who is at your door from anywhere in the world using your trusty smartphone. And you can protect your home and loved ones today if you go to ring.com slash upgrade. And for a limited time, you can get $50 off their Ring of Security kit. Now, let me tell you why a product like this is important. Um, every 13 seconds there is a home burglary. They Many of them happen in broad daylight, so a burglar will come to your door, they will ring your doorbell, knock on the door to check if you're in before they break in because they're not looking to, to kind of get caught, right? They, they just want to see if you're there and then they will maybe come in and take some things, which is a horrible thing to talk about, um, but it is something you need to think about. I mean, and everybody knows who's been listening to these shows recently, I've been on a bit of a home security kick and as we're um, approaching getting our own place, um, I can't wait to have my new home um, also 
secured by a ring video doorbell because they have been proven to stop burglaries before they happen. And they this is because it allows you to see and then speak to anybody that approaches your door using your smartphone because they have this uh, motion detection inside. It isn't just like they press the bell and then it pops up on your phone. The motion detection in the ring video doorbell can see when someone's walking to your home and then it can alert you before they've even pressed it, right? So it's ready, which I think is really great. And the reason that that is so great is because now they have something called their stick-up cam, which is where they've taken all the motion stuff and the camera stuff and put it into a home security camera. It's wireless and weatherproof and it's HD. And this is now they bundle this together with their ring video doorbell into what they call the ring of security kit and this helps you keep an eye on all the parts of the property you have the doorbell on the front door then you can have the wireless uh, stick-up cam on the back door or maybe on the side of the property um, and then you can make sure that you've got eyes on everything at all times. The Ring Video Doorbell and Stick-Up Cam take just minutes to install. They work together and provide you with 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. This is just a great way to have some peace of mind, let alone to actually help if something bad happens. So you just know you've got that stuff there. You can check in on the home whenever you want in the great app. It's all good to go. You can join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with Ring. And for a limited time, listeners of this show can save $50 off the Ring of Security Kit. This is the lowest price that you're going to find anywhere. So go to ring.com slash upgrade and claim your $50 off. Thank you so much to Ring for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason, can you explain to me the pains of uh, (laughs) iCloud family sharing? Is it even called that still? Is it iCloud family sharing? Family sharing, I think, is what it's called. I don't right. know. This is actually a, cat, a, a thing we've had on our list of things to talk about for ages now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it I, I thought it was worth talking about now. Things are a little quieter in the summertime, so that's good. Um, but it's a, it's a problem, and I actually just reached a... A conclusion. Since Apple changed the pricing on iCloud a little bit last fall, I, I realized that I need to get over my stinginess about this and just give in. Like I, I have to learn to love Big Brother. Um, so, so the story is, um, their family, there's family sharing in iCloud now. So, like my wife and my daughter and my son all now have separate Apple IDs, but they're all on the family account. And what that means is that if I buy an app or they buy an app, we all basically can use those apps. Um, there's some limitations. I think in-app purchases don't translate, uh, but but it's 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 good. Uh, everybody Everybody's on their own plan. They've got their own backup. Uh, it's it, And yet there's some stuff that's shared between us. So it's a nice idea. Um, I have to say I'm I'm disappointed that they didn't announce any expansions of iCloud family sharing in iOS 10 because it seems like it's so a first step and where's the second step and I I was hoping we would see it at WWDC or in the iOS 10 betas and it seems to not have happened although I'm going to hold out hope that it's something that could be added because it is so intertwined with Apple services that this may be something that comes later Mm -hmm. as we get closer to the fall but again as we said before could be wish casting on my part so here are the challenges with it Uh, although we can uh, sort of share apps and stuff now instead of the old model which was everybody just was logged into the same Apple ID and you you know I would enter my password in on my daughter's phone when she wanted to buy a, a game 
now uh, she can do that and she can ask me and I can give her permission and it's it, it's it's better this way. But here's what we can't do. Like I have a terabyte of iCloud data for photos because I have a huge photo library and also I write a book about photos and I need to write about the experience of syncing my photo library with iCloud. So terabyte, it's great. I'm not using it all. My photo library is like 550 gigabytes or something like wow, that. that's so, big. It's big. It's every digital photo that I've taken since 2001. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that you kind of had everything, but it's yeah. that's a lot of photos, right? It's a lot of photos. And and it's a useful for a stress test of of uh iCloud photo library, right? One of the funny things about that is like over time it was okay, right? You had this this building photo library and over time storage got cheaper, so the fact that the photo library was getting bigger kind of scaled. But then something right. happened which was SSD and cloud storage, and then it became exactly. way more expensive to store those files. Yeah, and so now the idea is you do optimized storage on your Mac, and those, uh, although I have, uh, actually it's that the Mac Mini that's attached to the Drobo, um, <laughs> that's where my canonical photo library still lives, but you can theoretically now have it live in the cloud, not have the originals on your Mac or your iPhone, and pay Apple to store it on iCloud. And so there are different different tiers. Apple changed the tier structure. I'm in the I'm I'm paying the same. I didn't actually get a a price cut when they changed their tiers because what they did was eliminate the 500 I think there's a 500, maybe I'm at 400 gigabytes. I was in the 500 terabyte or gigabyte tier and now I'm in the 1 terabyte tier. Um and I couldn't go down because the the next one down is too small for me. So um I'm still paying $10 a month or something like that for this. Uh, but here's the problem with it. I can't share my giant cloud of data with my family. So I was in the position where I was paying basically the max you can pay for iCloud storage, $10 a month for a terabyte. And my wife was still getting errors on her iPad and iPhone that she couldn't back up because she was out of five gigabytes of space. Now, it's a separate conversation about whether five gigabytes should be the amount for the free storage, because I feel like this leads to bad user experience uh, when, and it makes it feel like Apple's just trying to get money out of you. And I think they need to raise the bar a little bit. I know they need to make money from services or they want to make money from services. That's great. But you got to walk that line between how many people do you annoy with your automatic backup failing because you don't have enough storage space and wouldn't you like to update uh, maybe worth reconsidering whether it's worth it to Apple. But the point is, I spend a lot of money on a terabyte of storage, of which I'm only using about half. And meanwhile, my wife is being bugged that she can't store anything in her backup. And it doesn't make sense to me that this is one of those areas that I was hoping that Apple would would change, where a fam essentially a family can buy an allotment, or one person's allotment covers the whole family. Now, you see, what's so interesting when you started talking about this is that was what I just naturally assumed you were moving towards, was talking about the fact that you realized you could save the backups across the whole family. Nope. So, like, with the way that iCloud family sharing works, I'm going to keep calling it that, is there one kind of master account? So, like, when you set it up, I assume that it gets set up by one person and then you assign people that are in your family is that how it works yeah so there's a master id and then you say who is this i'm adding this person and they are an adult i'm adding this person and they are a child and there are different permissions for adults and children right see that's why it makes no sense that you can't then pull the data that that one person buys i know right 
Because what's the point of everyone buying their own stuff if then it's all being... Like, if you have the same photos all being saved independently to a backup? Well, all right. So so <laughs> you've stepped in another uh, related minefield there, too. So, so, And this is why I say it's so clearly that the iTunes uh, family stuff is a first step and we're waiting for the second. Where is the second step? Is iCloud Photo Library, similarly, I can't share that across. So I can't say to m- that my wife and I both get to use our iCloud photo library. She can't see it on her devices. I can share photos with her using the sharing system, but I can't. she and I can't both be on the iCloud photo library on our separate Apple IDs, even though we're in a family. It's just completely separate. So that makes, she now, if she wants to make like a calendar or something, uh, she just comes out here and sits at my iMac and does it because her computer is on her Apple ID. Her phone is on her Apple ID. It also means that the picture she takes with her iPhone, I occasionally need to bring her iPhone in here and attach it to my computer and import it so that it goes in our iCloud photo library. Yeah, so messy. I talked to Apple about this last year, and they, they you know, it's not like Apple doesn't think about this stuff. Um, they said that some of the issues are, if you're in the family, do you want your stuff shared with people in the family? And I get oh, that. Yeah. Like my, do- my daughter's a teenager. I... I I probably don't want her photos in my library, and she certainly doesn't want her photos in my library, right? Mm -hmm. So I can see that an absolute sharing and merging of photo libraries is probably a bad idea. So it's a more complex system. But like my wife and I are perfectly happy to share our photo libraries. That should be one photo library. And it's not, (laughs) and it's frustrating. And my daughter, I would like her to be able to opt in or or create a space for her inside the photo library um, or or be able to share or push photos that she does want to have saved in the family photo library to the family photo library these would all be nice but right now there's just there's just nothing there so not only are we not sharing data we're not sharing photos even though um, there are many cases and there are some workarounds like um we you can log in as the other person, right? So so we tried that for a while, um, where where my wife's uh, Apple ID was uh, she used my Apple ID on her iPad or her iPhone, um, and that will work. But it also causes all these other problems because so many the way iCloud works, so many things come along with iCloud that that are just you have to be logged in as the primary for this thing to work. So a good example is find my friends. Um, Find my friends. You can't. You can't have be logged into iCloud and see my iCloud photo library, but also be on your own Apple ID looking at Find My Friends. It doesn't work. So on my on my wife's iPhone, she can't log in as me because if she does, then she disappears from Find My Friends, which means I can't see her. Only one device per Apple ID can be the official location for Find My Friends purposes. So at that point. She, her her dot disappears from the map because she's no longer logged in as her. She's logged in as me. And either either my dot on the map is represented by my iPhone or it could be represented by her iPhone and confuse everybody, but it can't be both. So it's like a catch-22. You, you're, you're at a point where you can't have both of these features. So you end up using your own Apple ID and not having access to the photo library. So it's, again, 
it's it's clear this is where they need to go. I just I, I'm a little disappointed that nothing happened at WWDC, and uh, although I wish that we'll hear more that this may change, uh, I feel like we would have heard. So I don't know where where it's going to go. I've kind of in the meantime, it's kind of broken me to the point where I, my mother always asks about her iCloud backup, and my my wife's frustrated by the iCloud backup warnings. So at this point, I'm gonna. I, I'm going to suggest that they both just sign up for the uh, $0.99 cent a month plan for 50 gigabytes, just literally just to shut up Apple's complaints mm-hmm. about it and get their devices backed up, which is, it, it's I mean, it's $12 a year. It's not a lot. This is why I've basically given up. It's like, it's $12 a year. Now, should Apple provide, probably, we just had this conversation in the chat room, probably some sort of related to how many devices are on your Apple ID, that instead of having five gigabytes free per Apple ID, maybe it should be five gigabytes per device associated with the Apple ID up to a cap or something like that, that that would solve it. Because really, I think once you have an iPhone and an iPad and an Apple ID, it gets complicated. I just think fundamentally, five gigabytes is ridiculous. It's the 16 gigabyte iPhone problem. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And if the rumors are true and the the new iPhones this fall are going to start at 32, then maybe this is a good time to take that number and either increase it to 10 or... Uh, or change the system to be an allotment per associated device that every iPhone comes with 10 gigabytes of cloud storage. And if you want more, you can pay for it. Because wasn't iCloud introduced with 5 gigabytes? Mm-hmm. Like, that's insane. I think this has been it since the beginning, is the 5 gigabyte free on your Apple ID. And then you pay beyond that. And it's, it's yeah, yeah, I think it's it's not... And like I said, I, I think it creates a bad user experience because it gives people... People get these errors. If my family and friends are any indication, they get these errors. Oh, it says that I'm... It can't back me up. And it's because there's a, a, a different device backup. It's their old iPhone is still in there. Or they've got, a, you know, a, an iPhone and an iPad and they're taking up space. And, and you get this. And yeah, you can pay Apple. Uh, a ransom to get your, those things to stop. I feel like it's it's too happens too much, and that the, it should be simpler. But but you know, easy for me to say that I have have basically given up. And for the cost of twelve dollars a year to get my mom to stop saying, "Why do I have this error? What do I do?" Uh, it's just it's just pay the twelve dollars. Just get Apple to, to I you know I give up. Just give Apple the money. I just did this with my mom about two or three weeks ago. I was just like, we're just you're just gonna pay this now because I'm not gonna keep having to fix this for you every couple of months or whatever that right. you run into this. Like, let's just start paying this now. Um, and I explained to her why she would want it and that kind of stuff. And when I explained it to her, she's like, "Yeah, no, I, I want my photos and I, you know, I want my backups." Sure. And she was fine with it, but like nobody had explained it to her before because it hadn't become a problem until then. And right. then it was fine when it was explained. I mean, going back a, a couple of steps, like I understand some of the problems around the photo sharing stuff, right? Like how it's a decision that has to be made and there isn't kind of a right decision as to whether does everybody's photos get saved together or not because they're on a family plan. Like I totally mm-hmm. get that issue, right? That you that maybe your daughter doesn't want all of her photos synced with you. And, you know, and like vice and versa. And my photos sync with her. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't want all of that. Like that's kind of, you know, nobody, that's not a good solution. But I can also see why some people would want it, right? So I can see that there's an issue with that. But, you know, going back right to the start of the conversation, the, the idea that the data that is bought by you as kind of the master account is not shared, especially when you can buy a terabyte, is, is madness. Mm-hmm. It should be shared. I'm going to end up spending whatever it is, $10 a month on on uh, my account and a dollar a month on my wife's account. Yeah, just because 
that's uh that's what i have to do yeah yeah it's it's just it's it's dumb it's dumb mm-hmm. and again i'm happy mm-hmm. to give apple money but but it's not only should should it be shared but there should be more co- connections and hey what they did with the family stuff was a first a good first take right it was a first take my question remains where is step 2 where are you moving this service forward how are you rolling this out and and again i would expect that to be something that's integrated with ios 10 and that that is to have been announced at wwdc it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the case it could also be that that's something that's just rolled out with changes to the service and it comes later because it's it's uh it's harder to roll out beta versions of your service because uh, th- you've got people on the existing and people on the new. And it- it's possible that there was another shoe to drop here, but it seems less likely since there was no real hint of it at WWDC. And and that's, you know, it's great. I, I like to be generous to a certain degree with first takes from any technology company because it's hard, right? I mean, first 1.0 products are not... At some point, you have to ship, right? Great artists ship, right? <laughs> famous, famous words from Steve Jobs. you got to... Real artists ship, you got to ship it. But it's a 1.0. It's going to have limitations. I can forgive a lot of limitations in a 1.0 because I know how hard it is to get a product out there. It doesn't mean to say that 1.0 gets a pass, but I can forgive it. Assuming that there's follow-up and the sense that we know that this isn't the final version, we have a lot more work to do, here we go, we're doing updates, we're getting it, we're addressing all the issues, we're moving forward. The problem I've got with the the iCloud family stuff at this point is that it's a 1.0 and I see no indication that there's a 2.0. So where is it? Maybe it's coming. I hope it is. But um it hasn't in all the months that this has been on our to-do list it hasn't changed and really all that's changed for me to talk about it now is that i gave up i gave up and and realized that with the new pricing plans twelve dollars to get those dialogue boxes to go away twelve dollars a year is probably just worth it just to shut up the the warnings and let my mom have her stuff back up and let my wife have her stuff back up and not worry about it and maybe even my daughter i mean and again twelve dollars a month it seems really dumb but Especially since I've got 400 uh, gigs free on my own account, but that may just be where we are. It's too bad. It's too bad. So there's nothing that we can do to help you if you're in woes with your family sharing problem, but there are things that we can help you do and help you with, and that's what Ask Upgrade is all about. Ask Upgrade. And the first question this week comes from Jacob, and Jacob says, I'm recording the first episode of my podcast this week. It's an interview-style show. Any tips to make the guest comfortable? Yes, Jacob, I do have some. Make sure that you are very well prepared. Have lots of questions ready, more questions than you think you're going to need. One thing that I always did was write down questions that I know the answers to, because if you know the answers to them, it will also help you prepare some follow-up questions, right? So you ask someone a question, they answer it, and you already know what their answer is going to be, so you're already ready with some follow-up questions as well. Right. So so the idea is if you're well prepared with questions, you won't be fumbling so much um, because fumbling, like, um, uh, let me see now, what question shall I ask you? That makes your interviewees feel uneasy because you don't feel prepared. Uh, Try and chat with them a little bit before you begin the actual recording um, to build a little bit of rapport with your interviewee, make them feel at ease that this is kind of a little bit more relaxed um, and they're not kind of under the spotlight. And understand that it's going to be difficult your first time. You're not going to be perfect. 
Just have fun with it and try not to beat yourself up about it. Know that you're going to stumble around a little bit as you try and find your way. But if you accept that that's going to be the case, then you'll feel better about it. And remember that the editing is king. You can take out any of your problems in the edit. Any suggestions, Jason? Yeah, uh, I mean, you you did a podcast every week about this for a long time, where you were interviewing different people, and so I think you're the you're the master here. But preparation is good. Um, anticipating answers, anticipating uh, responses is is great. Keeping it natural. Uh, you know, James Lipton in the actor studio uh, at the end famously would would uh, ask a series of questions from a list, but before that, it seemed much more natural. I think that's an important. Uh, important point don't not to make it feel like you're just listing uh questions off and uh and that actually one of the biggest failures i see with people who are interviewing is they're they ask an interesting question and their guest responds and there are very clear follow-up questions to be had this is a conversation so what would you do in a normal conversation with a person you would follow up on what they just said and kind of continue down that path for a little while at least um, and in bad interviews, what I see is somebody says something, they've answered the question on a basic level, they left a lot of strands for follow-up to, to dig down deeper into some of what they said, and the person on the other end just asks the next question, and, and it's totally yeah. unrelated. And that's, uh, you can't do that, because that's, if you over-prepare and you stick to your list, uh, it's also a bad interview, because at that point it's just a questionnaire, it's not a conversation, and you want it to be a conversation. So you mentioned James Lipton. Yeah. Um he is one of my uh interviewing heroes. Uh a lot of the style that I developed over the years with Inquisitive when it was more of an interviewing show came from him. Mm-hmm. Um and I ended up developing some standard questions for some of my shows that I would ask of everyone yeah. in the style that he did. Uh, what do you because, want to be known for, right? Yeah. Actually, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> inside the actor studios was a was a great. Um, it, it was a great. It made a great mark on me. It was a, a real kind of just a thing that I looked to as an inspiration. Uh, so, if you're interested in ever interviewing anyone, there's a bunch of inside the actor studio on YouTube. Just go and watch that because it is it's just a masterclass. And you can see that he has an outline because he will do that thing in the show. I mean, some of this is because they also they edit the show, um, but you can see where he'll there'll be a pause and and then he'll 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 say, mm-hmm. and then Tom Hanks, and then you made Saving Private Ryan, and the audience cheers, mm-hmm. and then he goes into his question. So he he's working from an outline because he is sketching these people's careers and all of that. But but. The important thing is inside the, those questions, there's a conversation happening. It's not just a questionnaire. At the end, he does the questionnaire. And it's just, it's a shame that I think that sometimes people think of that show and think of the questionnaire at the end. The questionnaire is fun, but that's not the interview. Yeah. It's just yeah. like a, it's just a fun little segment. Simon asked, uh, do you guys ever use Trello or any other project tool for larger projects? I do use Trello, actually. Um, we, me and Steven use Trello to manage some of our sponsorship stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that Trello works is you kind of have these boards and then you move cards from board to board. So we'll do stuff like, you know, if we've contacted a company or a company's contacted us, and then if we're in the process of working with a company, if we've sold spots with a company, and we can move the card of each related company from board to board as they kind of move through our process of, of 
sponsorship and advertising sales. So we use them for that, and it's fantastic. It's actually made me a lot better at tracking what's going on uh, because we have a good system for it that we both share, um, and it's made us much more effective. So I really love Trello for that. Um, and we've used it for some like goals and stuff, like you know, by quarter things you want to achieve, and you can move the cards around depending on if you meet um, the goals or not in the time frames. Yeah, tra- Trello is really good for that stuff. It's a nice way to kind of visually track things. Yeah, I don't think I've I've used Trello. I don't think it necessarily works the way that I I work. As you can go back to our organizational episode where I discussed my non-organizational yep. organizational method. If it ain't in a calendar, Jason, don't want it. <laughs> uh but i i have used it uh i've used it there i'm i'm i can view some of the relay trello stuff um tidbits uses trello for all of its book production for the tick control books and since i write a uh, a book for them um i'm in there seeing their tracking and that's a good example where there are a bunch of different books they're moving through a process from you know essentially from left to right it's very much like the board of cards that we used to have at macworld and mac user back in the day that was our our visual, literally every story was on a card or section was on a, a, a an index card, and you started with you know not in, and moved to like story in, story copy edited, story to back to editor, story to art, uh, layouts to copy edit, layouts to editor, uh, final proof shipped, and that was left to right across the board. And every card would move from left to right across the board until it got to the end. Trello reminds me of that a lot. And the Take Control Trello really looks like that, where they're going through the different process of, like, here are the stages we need to go in. And and for that, actually, I think that's a really great way of doing it. I've tried to do some stuff with Trello, but I think the projects that I've been working are not so much in that. I have a lot of things, especially recurring projects, that um, that I've internalized. If, if I'm not working on with other people... I, I just kind of have my own internal system. I don't. I don't use other tracking, but I do. I do a lot of Google Sheets, actually, for a lot of my stuff, and that that has to do with more about scheduling than anything else for projects. But once you get a complex, larger project, like Simon's asking for larger projects, I think, uh, yeah, I, I I've been impressed with Trello. Trello is a lot of these I see, and I, I and my response is something like, oh, forget it, right? And with Trello, no, I use it, and I I I get it. Um, and I just don't, I don't think I've had the opportunity to use it as much as I probably, uh, I, I would use it if I had opportunities to use it more. Yeah, Trello is built off of a system called Kanban, which that was the system that you were using, uh, with those cards, right? The idea of moving from thing to thing. So Trello is based right. on that, which is why it's used in development yeah. so much. This is a, a very, like it's, Kanban is used a lot in software development, so that's why Trello works so well for so many teams for project management. It's a great tool. It's really good. Uh, Paul asked, what are the three best uses that you have for your Apple Watch right now? And what three new features from WatchOS 3 are you looking forward to? Good question from Paul. So for me right now, the things that I used my uh, watch for are timers, so cooking timers, a lot. Um, when I'm making coffee, I use the timer on my watch and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to the new UI of timers, uh, where you're able to just select from frequently used times rather than using the the uh, digital crown to try and get three minutes when you're like, oh no, four minutes, ah, oh, two minutes. You know, I want the preciseness of that. Um, I use it for notifications a lot and also for the, my weather complication, which is from Carrot Weather. I use the carrot weather complication. It's my favorite. Uh, so as well as the timer stuff, I'm looking forward to um, faster access to apps in general with the dock. And mm-hmm. also 
Um, the little details that will come through now that watchOS 3 feels like it's maybe been more developed by usage. So, you know, the Apple engineers and, and developers and designers have been using their uh, using their watches for a longer time, and it feels like maybe watchOS 3 has been built with that in mind. So I'm looking forward to, like, the nitpicky details um, of, of watchOS 3 and how that will affect my usage. Uh, my responses are very similar to yours. Now playing is the one that I would mention that didn't come up there. I use that a lot I'm uh, when I'm walking uh, or running and I've got my Bluetooth headphones in. Um, they're behind my, the, the cord goes behind my head. That's how I've got them set up. And, uh, so it's easier for me to do, uh, pause play forward on my watch using the now playing widget or app in watchOS three than it is to, um, than it is to use the little clicker on the back of my headphones. Also the clicker makes beeps and stuff, uh, where this is silent. It just goes to the next thing or it pauses or whatever, which I, I like better. So I use that, but yeah, timer notifications, uh, and weather, I use weather underground because that lets me see my uh, own weather station. Uh, so it's the actual temperature at my house, but, uh, same idea. And I'm looking forward to similarly background updating. So the temperature is always the current temperature instead of the last time that app happened to launch. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's going to be good. This is one of yeah. the things where I want to install iOS 10 because I want WatchOS yeah. 3. But. It's pretty it's pretty good so far. I'm I'm pretty happy with it. The the reality is that some apps don't work right on of course it. They don't. I, 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 and it's not surprising. I think some of them are like WatchOS 1 mm-hmm. original apps that didn't really get much of an update for WatchOS 2 and now on WatchOS 3, some of them, you know, I don't want to say they spin forever because that suggests what happens in watchOS 2, which is that they launch. It takes forever for them to launch. It's more like they launch and then they don't do anything. <laughs> and that's just, it's a beta and those are old apps and it's understandable. But uh, that's that's my only problem with it so far. But uh, still, it's it's good. It's already a better experience, I would say, than, than watchOS 2. And then finally, Lucas asked, what happened to Mike at the movies? So, yes, we haven't done one for a while. Um, so this is that, that hot, breaking Mike at the movies news that you were all mm-hmm. waiting for. Uh, this is episode number 97. So episode 100 is coming up soon. It is. So we're going to do a Mike at the movies for episode 100. And Jason, mm-hmm. would you like to tell everyone what you would like me to watch? I would. Um, let's, let me give you a hint. Con! Also, we're going to watch Star Trek Into Darkness. I've seen that movie. <laughs> Isn't that the movie? Mm, sure. Yeah, let's just watch that again. No, we're going to watch <laughs> Star Trek Two: colon, The Wrath of Khan from the 80s, a movie you haven't seen because you've yep. only seen the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, none of the old Star Trek movies. None. So we're going to watch the best of them. And it, in fact, a new... Uh, cleaned up edition just came out on Blu-ray. If people like Star Trek Two, you could go get that director's edition. It, it looks beautiful. Um, and yeah, so that's what we're gonna do for the episode that posts like August first. We'll have our regular stuff in there, and then we'll do Mike of the Movies at the end where we talk about Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan, generally considered the best Star Trek movie and one of my favorites. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Yeah, Star Trek Two, Electric. You know, we were watching the other day. We were watching something, some old movie, so, like that, something that we considered fairly old. It was from the '80s, and there was oh no, it wasn't an old movie. It was Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode. 
from from you know from the late 80s early 90s and they made a, 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 a an electric boogaloo joke and lauren turned to me and said wow i guess that's a really old reference <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> things things from 25 years ago were making jokes about electric boogaloo so maybe that's kind of an old joke is what i'm saying but anyway we will do the wrath of Khan. great great stuff in there i hope you like it but you've seen star trek into darkness so it's going to be this really bizarre thing where you've seen the thing that is and some people really hate into darkness because they think that it's just a ripoff of star trek 2 as somebody who loves star trek 2 i like into darkness because i feel like what it's doing is it's playing on our expectations and riffing off of star trek 2 but doing things differently i like that about it i i see why some people hate it but i really dig it um and I like a movie that's entirely pandering to me as a fan of Star Trek 2. But you saw that movie and not Star Trek 2. So for you, it'll all be happening backward. If you'd like to find the show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 97. Um, I won't be putting uh, a link to uh, Star Trek in there. So, you know, spoilers. You know, That's I right. I don't want to spoil it at the talks. People will see it in there. Mm. What I have put in is a link to break into Electric Boogaloo, so people will think we're going to watch that, which is <laughs> okay, fun. Okay, good. Uh, because, you know, just so in case you want to know what the Electric Boogaloo joke is about, then you and can we'll, go to the Wikipedia article. We'll follow that up with Step Up to the Streets. So that's Yes, please. Please. Uh, if you'd like to find Jason online, go to sixcolors.com, or he is on Twitter. He's at jsnell. Um, I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week's episode, the fine folk over at Ring and Hover. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>